what? That Jeff is smart and funny. <laughs> no, that he liked me. That's oh, the yeah. funny part. <laughs> well, yeah, and that was weird because you were not a huge fan of either Frank Zappa or Lloyd, Lloyd Price. I didn't even know who Lloyd Price was. What? I, when I met Jeff, I didn't know who Lloyd Price was. No idea about Loudy, Miss Cloudy, which obviously has been rectified now. But God, when I met goodness. him, nada, nada. God. Now, see, Lloyd Price for me, I, I didn't even recognize the Loudy, Miss Cloudy stuff. It was all about Staggered Lee. Like, I was totally transfixed as a child listening to this black man singing a pop song that sounded like a 19th century ballad with soul. God, it was just amazing how Lloyd broke all these barriers in the music business. Oh, okay, but back to Jeff. Somehow we still liked you. <laughs> I guess so. Not sure why. Probably because I was surrounded by all these other great people at the Influencer Salon, and he must have thought that there was more to this. And, and for all you listeners out there, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing oh, yeah. to me. <laughs> that fabulous look you have, right? <laughs> uh, because I don't know. It couldn't have been me. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, he, he, he liked us, and, and thus this friendship blossomed. So that was cool. It is very cool. We're, we're definitely lucky that he did. And we've been able to have some really freaking awesome conversations with Jeff. Yeah, those were fantastic. I mean, multitude of these just jamming on music and other things. And that he agreed to come on the show. And just yeah. to let people know, you are listening to Behavioral Grooves, the podcast that explores why people think and do what they do. I'm Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan, and we are lucky enough to have conversations with some of the smartest people on the planet about a variety of topics, but all help us understand who we are as people and why we do the things that we do. And our conversation this time is with Jeff Madoff, or B. Jeffrey Madoff, if you're looking him up. And Jeff is an American director producer, photographer, writer, and a professor living in New York City. He is the founder and CEO of Madoff Productions, and he has won awards for his commercials and videos, and he is a diehard music-loving fan. Yeah, so much so that he wrote a play about one of his early rock and roll heroes, the previously mentioned Lloyd Price. But what is really fascinating about Jeff is his perspective on life and how to live it. Yeah, we have been lucky enough to have many nights on Zoom with Jeff, drinking and talking about life and pretty much everything in between. Yeah, and lucky enough to have him a guest on this show where we get to talk about having a vision, taking risks, and asking the is it essential question. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe more important than anything, we got to talk about music. Well, for you, <laughs> that's obviously more important than anything, but yes. So now it's time to sit back with a big glass of Lottie Miss Claudie brew and listen to our conversation with B. Jeffrey Madoff. Jeffrey Madoff, welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Well, thank you for having me on. We are excited to have you. And as always, we start with a speed round. So question number one. Do you prefer coffee, tea, or nootropics? Nootropics. And did I say that right? That's the, that's the important question <laughs> that's there. The question. <laughs> you know, I've heard nootropics. I've heard nootropics. Uh, so I'm not, I can't give you an accurate judgment on that. But I knew what you were talking about, which is the most important thing in communication. There you go. Ah. And so with that, can you help uh, explain to our readers what nootropics are? Uh readers our <laughs> listeners my god yeah, when, when are we readers. Readers. this is like 
I, hope is, not. I need some yeah. nootropics to get my brain working yeah. right. There we go. Yeah, this is actually, although this is audio only, I will give a visual demonstration of what they are. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. perfect. Our so, listeners are going to love that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And those who can't hear it can lip read the audio. Uh, so, uh, yeah, nootropics are, are a, a category of supplement. They aren't vitamins, uh, but they're often made up of uh, amino acids and other things that are actually resident to your body. And uh, the ones that I take are for cognitive function. Otherwise, I would not have remembered that we had this scheduled this morning. <laughs> and I like it better than coffee because there's no crash at all. And oh, you know, I do like okay. coffee, but uh, I haven't. I've had during this entire pandemic, I've had two coffees in like the year and a half because uh, the ride is a lot nicer on the nootropic, and there's no crash afterwards, and there's no caffeine headaches. All right, speed round, Tim, you're up. Yeah. <laughs> Zipping through as normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeff, would you rather have dinner with your favorite musician, athlete, or actor? Uh, actor, actor or musician. Yeah. Okay. Who comes to mind? Oh God. Uh, do they have to be living? <laughs> no, uh, actually doesn't have to be living. Let's, let's take the rules off of living. Yeah. Well, I guess if it, if I was going for, uh, if, uh, if I lean towards the music, cause it's all interesting. You know, what I'm interested in is expression, right? So an athlete expresses through their physicality and their psyche in terms, you know, I've been watching the Olympics. It's been quite a, a fascinating watch because everything is so strange, you know, mm. with no audience uh, because of COVID, yeah. because of just some of the things that have happened with Simone Biles, for instance, which raises a lot of interesting questions. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's been really kind of cool to watch. But, you know, as you both know, and especially Tim and I can geek out on music. And so talking to one of my favorite musicians, uh, like a Frank Zappa, who I consider to be extraordinarily creative and interesting in, in what he did, that would be really interesting to me. Uh, yeah. But also talking to an actor, like when I, I actually got to talk to one of my favorite actors, which was uh, Gregory Peck. And uh, had an amazing conversation with him. And so, so to talk about that kind of expression and how you get there in terms of your psyche and what you're trying to do. So uh, the question's really good because it's hard for me to choose because I find all these things interesting. Yeah, you, you are hyper curious, I think, when it comes to you're way, way over on the right side of the, the bell curve when it comes to curiosity, which I think is cool. Well, that was a curious okay. statement, Tim, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt, back to you. All right. So so when Broadway plays come back, if you had the choice. And by the way, between... uh, let me get the orient. Let me orient myself. This is the speed round. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Th this is a yes. speed round. Don't you understand how speed rounds work? They're really yeah. slow. Yeah. It's a, it's a contradicting yeah. in zip, terms zip, zip. here. So, uh -huh. so when Broadway when Broadway plays come back, if you had a Friday night and you had the option of seeing a live Broadway player musical or going to see one of your favorite musical just concerts in general, do you have a do you have a preference on which you think you would choose? 
Well, I got another difficult question for me to answer. Uh, I think I'd like to see a play uh, mm. that would probably be first on my list. Uh, okay. However, I talked to my friend and who I've played for you guys, Ed Palermo, and he's scheduled to do his first New York concert on September 20th. Uh-huh. And barring bad circumstances, uh, I'm going to go see him and can't wait. And, yeah. just, you know, having there's so much pent up demand in all areas of expression because we've all been so limited over this past year and a half. And that's why I'm having such trouble answering. It's because I want to do everything. I'm sick of, of not. <laughs> can I go see? Can I go see the know? the you know Broadway in the afternoon, and then go to the concert at night, and then see a late night movie at the midnight showing? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you just put it all in together. Right. So, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No. No kidding. Okay, last speed round question. Uh, in your work, do you think it's more important to be smart and diligent, or? Just network the hell out of life and follow your bliss. Well, I think if you're smart and diligent, you're also networking. Uh, and if you are following your your bliss, you hope to be smart and diligent about that so you can actually do it. So the two questions kind of meld together, and I don't know that they're mutually exclusive. See, this is what I love. This is what I love about the, the way you think, right? This isn't an either or. Why? Why the hell are you delineating these two and separating them, right? It's like no, this is this is a creative world, and we need to be thinking about things creatively. Which leads to the next question, which isn't part of our speed round question. Now we're we're going into the real slow part of the show, so people can <laughs> fall asleep at night. You didn't understand that this is actually a sleep show that we, we do for people who have insomnia. Um, Behavioral somnolescence. That's, that's our, new, our new program. So you have done, actually, first year, your career has been really amazing in the variety of different aspects that you've done, but it's all been creative and you've written a, a fantastic book about creativity. So help us understand what it is that got you interested in creativity, or is it just a piece that you've kind of had throughout the, the entirety of your, of your life? Well, I think I'm, I'm, was fortunate that I was always encouraged by my parents when they saw that I had some talent for drawing. Uh, you know, they would bring home large sheets of craft paper from the from their store, and I could just draw. And you know, I wrote stories, and they were interested in stories. I wrote stories and did comic strips that would get passed around to school when I was a kid. And so I think I got a lot of positive reinforcement. People wanted to see the next uh, installment on the comic that I would draw and would get passed around. And my parents uh, never, ever discouraged me from doing things that I like to do. And so I think that we, we all enter with a tremendous potential. You know, we all enter into this world with tremendous potential. Uh, and I think a lot of that gets squashed by parents, by teachers, by even our contemporaries and people become at a young age reluctant to speak up reluctant to share ideas uh, because they're afraid of the criticism or rejection and so on and so i I think that you know i was fortunate enough that for better or for worse i was always encouraged and as a result i was i wanted to put ideas out there i had this compelling need to express, and I'm sure part of that comes from the fact that I got positive reinforcement for it. 
Fantastic. Have you ever heard of Gordon McKenzie? He was uh, he was a VP at Hallmark, and he wrote this book. It was called uh, Orbiting the Giant Hairball. But he, uh, <laughs> so again, you can kind of think about just his the, who who this person is. But he did this fantastic research. He'd go and he'd, he'd talk to students at schools. And so he said he did this. And he said, every single time I'd go in and I would ask kindergartners and first graders, you know, how many kids in here are artists? And like all their hands would go up, right? There'd be, everybody be raising their hand. And he said, by third grade, you'd go and about 30% of the hands would go up when you asked third graders. And then by the time you got to fifth or sixth grade, he said there was like one kind of hesitant or maybe two hesitant hands that would go up when he asked that same question, how many people are artists? And so it goes back to, I think what you were just saying is that whatever it is within our society, we start off with this artistic bent, this creativity bent. And I would love to see the comics that you you wrote. I don't know if you still have any of those, but I, I wanted to see some of those. And then, and then for whatever reason, it we we realize that hey that's maybe not the way that this the world is looking at us and so what can we do how how do we how do we overcome that well t- to reinforce your point i think that if you want to pursue something in the creative field if you want to be a musician if you want to be an actor a painter a dancer whatever uh the next question that follows is well what's your fallback position mm you know, uh, and so there's an assumption that that's not really serious. Uh, and that, you know, if you say, well, I'm, I'm going to be an accountant or I'm going to be a dentist, nobody says, what's your fallback position, right? <laughs> uh, and so already there's a cultural bias against the arts. And I think that in terms of the arts, as we, as we think of them, because I think that the term creativity embraces more than just what we think of as the arts. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that it's, that's a shame. It's a shame that it's Mm -hmm. looked at that way and valued in that way. Like, you know, we look up to great writers, great painters, usually after they're dead, you know, but we look up to these great creatives. And of course it's possible to make quite a good living doing it. Or if you're not making good living, you might, though, be very fulfilled by what you're doing. So I think also another question that arises is, what does success look like? And what's the criteria for success? Is it how much you're paid to do something? Is it how much satisfaction and fulfillment it gives you, which is often independent of the money? And so I think that, you know, we even look at things like there's always the threats to funding for the National Endowment for the Arts and all these things that I think are so important for people to be aware of. And I think that that, that that kind of expression, understanding that expression, thinking creatively, all these things I think are so important for progress. You know, and, and I mean, look at, this is an extreme example, but look at Da Vinci, who was both an artist and an engineer <clears throat> and the things that he did. And so I, I think that the cultural bias that is pretty much against the arts, you know, or at least not understanding it where that's not valued because it's not practical. And uh, I think that's a problem. Do you think it's more prevalent in the United States than in other countries in the world? You know, I can't really say, I don't, I don't know enough about the cultural values. I mean, I could say that about aging, you know, in, in Asian countries, uh, age is looked at as wisdom, where here age is often discarded. 
mm-hmm. and so you know I know that about different cultures, but I, I I couldn't say about the other. But there is something interesting that I could say. When you look at China, when you look at Japan, what you look at is uh, a culture that is iterative on a process. So not to say there are no creative people, but uh, what I'm saying is that with technology, the reason that the United States leads is because there was that entrepreneurship and inventiveness as opposed to just making it for less money and yeah. iterating on yeah. an idea. And so those those distinctions have blurred as the world has gotten smaller and the economy has become globalized. But uh, there are different ways that cultures look at that. Yeah. Yeah, Grant. Uh, absolutely. That's a great observation. Uh, the difference between sort of an entrepreneurial, innovative kind of a thing versus a iterative uh, sort of approach. I wanted to go back to your comment that I, I, that you had a compelling need to express. I think that this is really cool. How do you take that, this compelling need to express from this childlike, you know, the, or this child who is creating comic books into a career? I mean, you went through University of Wisconsin at Madison and you did sort of the the normal things. You were in athletics and you had a, this wide variety of, of background activities going on. But but how do you bring this compelling need to, ex, to express into your career? What, t- tell us a little bit about that journey. Because you've written a book called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. So I think you might have something to say on this, right? So Well, I was hoping it would sell. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I was going to name it, uh, have sex every day, live forever and become wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. And I thought that would sell. <laughs> that uh, would sell. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you just look for I what think you think. A rebranding is, yeah, rebranding might, might, might work. This so might be the moment. We might be at a pivotal moment. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that in finding out what I could do, <clears throat> like when I started my first adult career, which was uh, designing clothes, which happened totally as serendipitously, you know, it was it was not part of a plan. What mm-hmm. I discovered about myself in looking back was that I'm always seduced by ideas. And it wasn't like, oh, you could make a lot of money doing this. You know, that wasn't a compelling reason to do it. A compelling reason was, God, this is interesting. This is really fun. Wow, I like the people who do this sort of thing. You know, a dear friend of mine uh, is an actress. And when she had her 50th birthday party, it was astounding. All the people that were there and just how interesting the people were that were there. And there were singers that just spontaneously started doing stuff and performing because that's what actors do. And it was really great. And I went up to her and said, Nancy, I really want to thank you for your career choice. Thank God you weren't an insurance salesperson. This party would not be nearly as interesting. (laughs) Uh, Not to say anything against insurance people, but, uh, you know, it's so I think I've always been attracted to how can I translate those talents so that I can do what I love doing all the time. And not have it as a hobby, but have it as a career. So I've been able to do that. And I don't have a recipe for that. But, you know, it's <clears throat> it's being first seduced by an idea, having a desire to do it, not being afraid to take the risk of doing it. 
but also having a plan because there's, you know, certain business things that pour over into it. You know, when I was designing clothes or when I was making films, <clears throat> what you had to do was, of course, have clients that are willing to pay you to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there has to be a practical business side to it. And oftentimes there's that dichotomy that, well, I'm not a business person, I'm creative, or I'm not creative, but I'm a good business person. And again, I don't think it needs to be an either or. I think it can be yeah. both. And when you have people buy your stuff, whatever it is that you're offering, whether you're a painter or uh, a writer or whatever, or you're selling a service, you've got a proof of concept, you know, that people are buying it. And so that means there's a market for it. How much mm -hmm. of a market you have to discover by putting it out there. <clears throat> but that's what I have found from designing clothes <clears throat> to making films, to writing my book, to teaching, to now, you know, writing and producing a play. You know, it's, it's, you can't be the only one in love with your idea. You have to find no. people who are actually willing to pay uh, in order to somehow partake in it. And that's how you can make a career out of it. You know, whether you want to be a comedian and you start off working at shitty small clubs. And, I, and I'll add one more thing, and I'm, I'm kind of ricocheting around because you guys are bringing up so many provocative thoughts around this. But I, I think that looking at the opportunity, and this is true whether you're a business person or whether you're a creative person, what is the opportunity for what you are doing? And uh, how do you manifest that opportunity mm. so that you can make a career doing what you love doing? And again, I think it's cultural because I don't think that the creative pursuits are taken nearly as seriously as others. Although we have so many examples to the contrary. I mean, look how wealthy Spielberg is. Yeah. You know, look how wealthy George Clooney right. is. Uh, look how wealthy de Kooning is. Look at how wealthy these people have become through their art. Uh, and I'm sure, by the way, that becoming wealthy was not their primary goal. That happened. But that wasn't the primary goal. We've talked about creativity as being part of this, you know, often focused in on the arts, on, on those types of careers, a musician, actor, artist, etc., but there's a creativity part of, of everyday jobs as well. The insurance agent, the, you know, engineer, the, the product manager, whoever that would be. So how do you build that creativity into uh, occupations that might not appreciate it or encourage it? If I'm a, if I'm a product manager or a, a you know, an, well, I don't want to be a creative accountant, right? Because that could lead to some some bad. Well, supposedly you know. that's the most creative part of Hollywood is the accounting. <laughs> there you go, the creative accounting. But how, how do you build that in? And, and are there things that people can do to help themselves? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, I think that talk to people outside of your discipline mm. and include people in the meetings that may come at this in a different way. And if you're open to ideas, if you're curious, you're going to have more connecting points that can allow you to innovate. So let me give you a specific idea. Uh, if you're a dentist and you come up with a very inexpensive, painless, uh, natural looking whitening solution, you know, uh, th and that's become a big business, you know, 
tooth whitening mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't there, you know, when we were kids, but that's become like a, a multi-billion dollar business. And you see these people now with these like chiclet teeth, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know it's, become, it's become a big business. So some dentist, which you know, normally think of as a necessarily creative world, uh, came up with this idea. Mm. If you are uh, an insurance person and you found a way to leverage assets in some way that it secured someone's future income in a legal and good way, and you came up with this new way of doing it, you're not only going to build a business, it's a creative application. So I don't think that any business is immune to those things. It's being creative and knowing how to tackle a problem through which you're finding a solution for, and you can sell that solution. And so that's being creative. And I think entrepreneurs are creative because all these things start off with an idea in your head, you know, and then you've got to manifest that idea. And, you know, the more successfully you manifest and execute, uh, the more, the higher the likelihood that you're going to be successful uh, is there. And so I think that in all these fields, there is an opportunity to be creative uh, and there's an opportunity to be entrepreneurial. So it doesn't just have to be the traditional arts that we normally think of. Getting back to these these kind of jobs where you're you're acting in a creative manner within the within the business world. Um, I think about a lot of agencies, you know, have, have a little story that they say that, uh, you know, clients, you know, can't live with them, can't live without them. You know, that, that, that it, a lot of, a lot of agency people feel like they don't really, clients don't really get our creative power, but we have to serve them anyway. And, and, and so I'm contrasting sort of the need to take this idea, manifest this idea in a way that gets, um, enjoyed by a larger market and which might require some kind of modification. And at the same time in the, in the book, you wrote something that I think is just fantastic. You said that a creative person hates indifference. It's important to realize what our emotional triggers are and what really affect us. I, I love that this, a creative person hates indifference. How it, it, it feels like a contradiction to me. It feels like these are opposing functions, Jeff, that, that the, the creative person hates indifference, and yet in the business world, in the real world, creativity might, you know, have to be modified and changed and, and manipulated. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, 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 th- I think you're raising a really interesting point, and there's a few things going on here. <clears throat> I think that if you are in business and you look at your client as the enemy, uh, <laughs> you're setting yourself up for a yeah. problem because that enemy is financing what you're doing. So I think that it's really important to, first of all, be empathic. And what I mean by that, and having a sense of empathy in the, in the job, I think it's really important to understand what they hope to get out of it. It's not just an opportunity for you to have your creative expression and not have to answer to anything. Mm. You, know, you know, so if you're being hired by somebody I think it's incumbent upon you to understand what they're hoping for as an outcome, even if you're able to change that and shift it. Because I think that the most important thing in life 
you know, I'm, I'm married. I've been married for almost 30 years. Uh, not that I'm any paragon of a good husband. I'm not suggesting that at all. <laughs> uh, but what I have learned from my wife is the importance of listening mm. and the importance of listening <clears throat> in a business setting is critical because nobody in any setting, whether it's a relationship, a personal relationship or in business, nobody wants to feel ignored. And the client feels, hey, we're fucking paying for this. Yeah. 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 Listen to what, where, you know, they aren't dumb. They built up enough of a business that they're able to hire you to do something. So I think it's important to understand what it is that they're trying to do and then how can they help you do it? <clears throat> I think when everybody holds on with white knuckles to their ideas, that that, and sometimes you do have to defend your ideas, but yeah. I think that you also right. have to be open to challenge. So, for instance, with my play, it requires a great deal of collaboration. And that collaboration is what can yield much better results than just going on it on your own. So I think that those the sharing of ideas, the understanding what the hoped for outcome is, all these things I think are really important in terms of fostering creativity uh, by being open, by being listen, by listening, by understanding what the other person or people hope to get out of it, and to not look at your clients as you know they're stupid, uh, they don't get what we're doing. Well, maybe you're not communicating it well enough. So, Jeff, I think one of the biggest questions, and this is something that comes up, I think, with with me sometimes in in just the interactions I have around things is you, you mentioned this idea that sometimes you need to, you need to fight for your creative ideas and hold on to them a little bit stronger. And other times you need to let them go and say, and listen intently and go, yes, I'm, uh, this will be a better solution. This will be a better uh, end result. If, if we do modify these things, that line of holding on, you know, and letting go, I think is the tricky part because if you let go too soon, you might lose some wonderful creativity aspects that go in. And if you hold on too tight, you're not going to get anything done anywhere. So what's the magic uh, principle of, of how do you do that? I'm sure there's an easy way of being able to come up and say, yep, this is exactly when you need to let go. And this is how, when you need to hang on. Well, I'll give you an, a real world example. Okay? okay. We were doing the first reading of my play. And uh, it's a table read and all of the actors, all the management, everybody's around. There's a scene that takes place in Australia. And the uh, person in the play is about Lloyd Price is in Australia for the first time. And it's the first time he gets high. Okay. As the actors are reading it, they're cracking up. <laughs> and so I've got like 30 people around the table and the actors are laughing. And this is the stuff I wrote. So I'm thinking, oh, great. They're laughing. That's good. That's what I hoped for. But something wasn't right. Mm. So we finished the scene. We take a break. And I said to the director, Sheldon Epps, so Sheldon, what do you think of the Australia scene? And he goes, well, it's funny. You saw people laughing throughout. It's interesting. But is it essential? And I said, what do you mean is it essential? And he said, does it either move the plot forward or reveal more about the character? And I said, no. And he said, well, then I don't think we need it. And boom, 
I took out five and a half pages that I wrote that everybody was laughing at, which is what I was hoping for. Wow. But, But I realized that he was right. It wasn't essential. And so you can't fall in love with your own stuff. You have Mm. to be open to the fact that it can be better. Now, I will also say that I asked him that question because there was something inside of me that knew something was off. Okay. He articulated that and that totally resonated with me. And I knew he was right. And we took it out. The, what ended up happening is through listening, understanding his intent, which is the same as mine, which is to make the best piece of theater we can in front of an audience, uh, I realized that taking it out was the right thing to do because it also, <clears throat> his, his note about it resonated with me. Yeah. And I guess that comes down to the know thyself. Yeah. If you're getting a, a note uh, or and I, and I don't necessarily like the word criticism, you know, because mm-hmm. it's 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 not about being a critic; it's about being helpful. Uh, but if it resonates with something that I already had some doubt about in the first place, oh, that is a way that I know don't hold fast. Yeah, it can be better because it's they're picking up on something that I picked up on that I hadn't articulated yet. And that can make it better. Yeah, I love I love the question that he asked. Is it essential? And I think right. that's a that can be a quick a question you can ask at any point, right? So somebody pushes back on an idea, even if you didn't have that doubt about it beforehand, you can go, is this essential to what we're trying to achieve and as part of this? And and if it is, then maybe hold on. If it's not, okay, this let's listen, let's let's explore this some more. So yeah, if your ideas and your belief in your ideas doesn't stand up to a challenge, then yeah. how strong are those ideas? So, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean, you know, I, I had people who, who said, uh, well, the play needs a, a love interest. And I said, well, there is there is a love relationship. And he said, who's that? And I said, Lloyd and Logan. That was his mentor. And, and no, 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 no. I mean, the woman, you know, who's left behind and you know, that old saw. And I'm thinking, I didn't say it, but I'm thinking that's not the, well, I did say this part. I said, that's not the play I'm writing. Uh, And I was very clear that that's not uh, what I was doing. Because you also have to understand the other person's motives. When you're in a business situation, are they trying to show off in front of somebody? Some people, and I'm sure you guys have been in meetings like this too, where people will point out minutia to try to impress their boss of how aware they are of everything, you know, and, and that kind of thing, which is destructive behavior to any kind of good idea. Kurt's, Kurt does that to me all the time. He's just trying to. Just <laughs> Tim, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, <laughs> that's a, I don't think that's a really again. good comment. I think we got to take it out, and, uh, you know. Thank God for editing. We'll find out when you ask the question, is this essential as you edit this podcast? And yes. we end up with three and a half minutes left. All of a sudden, since Tim does the editing, all of a sudden I'm going to realize that, hey, I, I say the opening and then I don't say anything for the rest of the podcast. Well, the question is, is Kurt essential? And, uh, <laughs> God damn it. I was hoping that would never come up because I'm, that's when I. But by the way, uh, that has become my mantra 
because yeah. it's true in everything. If you're doing a pitch and you've yeah. got a 30 page deck, you got to go through every page of that deck and say, is this essential? Because it's real easy for people to disconnect. And yeah. so I think that the notion of being essential, then if it is essential, if you answer yes, then tell me why is it? Is it revealing more about the characters and moving the story forward? Is it bringing the more important parts of our pitch to the front? So if we lose the audience further down, they've gotten the main points. I mean, you know, I think that that looking at things that way fits every business. And I think that that's really important. Doctors have to make that decision all the time in the emergency room, right? You know, what's essential? This, is, this person's got th multiple injuries going on. What's going to save the life? You know, we got to keep their heart beating yeah. and their lungs yeah. functioning. So it's true with any project you're on too. What's going to keep giving this life? Don't pay attention to the things that aren't going to affect it. You can clean that yeah. stuff up later. But what are the main things that could kill the project? <laughs> you know, it's it's a triage process, right? It and is you're looking at this like what's essential. So if there's a bunch of things that that are important, which of those are the most important that you need to take care of right now? And it, it goes back. It, I love the the element where you talked about the understanding the motives of people inside of the of that meeting, because oftentimes you do see this where they're, they're pointing out flaws and they're, they're genuine. They, they could be flaws in the thing, but oftentimes they're not essential. They are, they are minutia that ends up taking time and energy and focus away. And you're going is, but is this really where we need to be spending our time right now and having these discussions on this when the important pieces are the larger story, the narrative, the character development, whatever that would be, as we think about this, if we put that analogy in place, so, you know, as opposed to what color shoes are they wearing? Well, you know, I, it doesn't really freaking matter at this point. Unless you know, it's Dorothy, and we know they have to be the ruby slippers. Other than that, or the blue suede shoes for Elvis. We don't really yeah. care, right? But even uh, then, I mean, if, is, <laughs> if Dorothy would have had emerald green shoes, would have it really changed the thing? I mean, the, the, the important piece is that there was the color of, and there was a shoe, right? But the color and, and yes, it, it became important because that's what we have now come to know. Right. But in the design of that, they, I mean, outside of maybe the white shoe or the black shoe, I suppose, it would probably have been pretty boring. But any color of a shoe doesn't, ruby, doesn't matter. Maybe it does. Maybe I'm I think I think that was original to Frank Baum's original story. I think that they were ruby slippers in Well, the, then Frank, well, I mean, but, he was obviously putting this in. Anyway, we, we digress <laughs> down the ruby slipper. Oh my god, this is where people are going. There this is not essential to the, the, the podcast. That's for damn <laughs> sorry, sure. Sorry, sorry I threw in that bit of a minutia. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, I it, one of the things that I do to try to protect myself from those who don't have the best interest of the project at hand, where it's more ego-based as opposed to what's going to make this better, is, uh, and this is a, a real-world example with, with my director, is when I was interviewing directors, because uh, that's a critical, that person's realizing the vision of the play, right? So Sheldon and I were talking, and I said to him, I have a no-asshole rule. And he said, I think I know what you mean. And he kind of laughed, but, but, but explain that to me. And I said, uh, 
if you were paying me, you can never be abusive, but you can be an asshole if you're paying me enough. But if I'm paying you, you can't be. And I don't want anybody to ever rob the joy of the process. You know, if you've got these issues, work them out in therapy. But if you have to sabotage ideas that aren't your own, or you have to make sure that everything seems like it came from you, uh, you know, you're robbing the joy of the process, not just of the director or the writer, but also the other actors and other people involved. And my feeling is I hired these people because I value their talent and their opinion. So allow them to express. And the thing is, when you inhibit others' expression, things then become camps and people become enemies. And that roughness causes the friction that keeps a smooth project from moving forward in a good way. Because in my case, doing a play, that's a joy. I'm creating a fantasy for an audience for two hours. That's a blast. And what a treat to be able to do it. And it's hard. It's really hard to be able to do it because the thing we've left out of this discussion in terms of the creativity and these choices is also there are budgets. And, you know, part of the triage, Kurt, is saying we can't afford to do all this. So what is it that is most important to make the points that we want to make sure to make? And we need to protect that and stay focused on that because that's what we have the budget to do. You know, and then it's also being creative about how you allocate the funds that you've got. You know, all these things are creative decisions in terms of establishing priorities and how to make the work the best it can be. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Uh, it really is, Jeff. And uh, I, I love the the wisdom that comes from your from your experience, from your your careful observation of the human condition, and how you how you pay attention to, to things in the world is, is just fantastic. I'm like sorry. To, what'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat that. I want to, um, I drifted off there for a moment, Tim. I'm sorry. Are you saying something nice about me? Could you repeat that? <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to ask in the few minutes that we have left here, we know that you love, uh, that you love Frank Zappa, but uh, the, your adoration of him as an as an artist is is remarkable and and duly uh, you know uh, worthy of all of that. Uh, but what's on your playlist these days? It's a, I'm sorry to say my playlist on one hand isn't as active as it normally is because not working out of my office where I had a great sound system mm. and all of my music surrounding me. Although I'm still always exploring you know, music and, and, and listening to things just because I, I love it. For instance, American masters, which is a great series on PBS this week. Uh, well, we're, we're, we're July 30th. I don't know when people will hear this, but they can find it on PBS on demand. They do a story. They do buddy guy, the great oh. blues uh, guitarist and singer. And it's awesome. It's really interestingly done. And you get a real sense of his music. And I've listened to Buddy Guy. I've seen him in person. But hearing his whole story put together, I never knew that. And it's really, really interesting. So that's reignited me wanting to listen to more Buddy Guy, who I hadn't listened to in terms of really drilling down in a while. 
And I was remembering all this astounding music. And then along with that, Slim Harpo, Lightning Hopkins, Muddy wow. Waters, yeah. you know, and I love going into yeah. the roots of blues and how that affected jazz, how that affected rock and roll. And so the night before, and they happened to run this, PBS ran these together, was they did a story in his own words, Chuck Berry. <laughs> and so, you know, I also go and revisit and drill down. And obviously your listeners don't know that we've had some listening evenings together where we each bring in music to share. And me, and I love that. That was such a blast. And, you know, we have to reinstate that. Well, I'm do. not saying the release for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> you know. But anyhow, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's really fun. And, and yes, I do love uh, Zappa's music, but it's, I love music. And so all of these different iterations, I mean, when I was listening to Buddy Guy, you can't help but to hear Jimi Hendrix because Jimi yep. Hendrix was greatly influenced by Buddy Guy. Yeah. You know, and Buddy Guy played distortion. And mm. then I think about that and I think about Link Ray. And Link Ray was the first guy to start playing his own feedback. It wasn't Hendrix. And all these, all right. these creative right. uh, ricochets that go around, you know, I think are fascinating. And it's, by the way, the music, the music industry or musicians is a great way to look at creativity. And what I mean by that is if you are always curious and you're always kind of seeking and learning and you go down the rabbit hole and you find all these roots musicians like Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Slim Harpo and all these people, and you get into that, you have more dots to connect. Yeah. Then all of a sudden when you hear a Hendrix and then you hear Stevie Ray Vaughan and then you come up to the contemporary, great contemporary guitar players, you start really being able to appreciate that what they've done isn't invent something new. They have connected the dots and stand on the shoulders of those giants and iterated on that. And that's a huge part of creativity is, yeah. is educating yourself all the time so that you're creating more dots to connect in your brain. And those constellations that are formed lead you down a more creative path because you have more references, you have more influences, you have more things to draw on. So I think that it's, it's, it's essential to stay curious and to always keep learning, no matter what, whether you're a painter, an actor, uh, no matter what it is, it's iterating on those things that it will make, that can create greatness. So going back at the very beginning of this, we, we were talking about entrepreneurs and uh, the, you know, the difference between Asian cultures that were iterative and kind of just focused on cost. But what I'm hearing you say here is that an entrepreneur isn't necessarily coming up with a brand new great idea out of the blue, right? That what they're doing is they're, they're connecting these dots that in maybe a, a way that hasn't been connected before. It's taking two disparate ideas and mashing them together in a way that creates a third dot that is brand new, but it isn't just this element that comes out of nowhere. It's coming from these past and different areas that you're you're bringing together and iterating on that. Did I get that? Did I capture yeah, that? Yeah, there, there's two things. One is I want to I want to be clear that there is a tremendous Asian history in film, in literature, mm. in painting, and all that. 
I'm talking about in contemporary times with technology. So yes, I just want yes. to be clear yeah, that, okay. that, uh, about that. And yeah, what, what, you're, what you're talking about in terms of, of connecting those dots and understanding all that uh, in the iterative process is obviously crucial. And having that curiosity is is crucial. And I, and I, I wanted to touch on on one other thing, and that is when you talked earlier, going back to the beginning about l- live music or a play or whatever. What I like about people said to me, "Well, your background's in film. Why did you want to do a play about Lloyd Price? Why didn't you want to do a you know Why did you want to do a film?" There's something about a live performance, whether it's a musician a play could be a comedian, even a sporting event. Mm -hmm. You are the people involved are at risk the whole time they're in front of you. And that risk energizes a performance. It's not like in a movie where you can stop and do a retake. You've got to deliver and be focused and in that zone all the time. And so there is something about that risk. I mean, if you're a comedian and a joke bombs, bad comedians attack their audience. And I've certainly mm-hmm. seen that. Great comedians know how to pivot like that, like a true entrepreneur. And, yeah. you know, when you talk about connecting the dots and not necessarily reinventing the wheel, Apple computer, Steve Jobs, they never created a product that was original. Yeah, There's nothing <laughs> they did. The smartphone, the tablet, yeah. the personal computer, all of those things came from others, right? What they did do is they focused on the aesthetics and the user experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but, and they made it seem like they created the product, but they oh, never yeah. created a product. There were smartphones before Apple, you know, the Palm, the Blackberry, those were all before, yep. before Apple. Samsung had a tablet out before Apple, and I think a couple other companies did. Uh, even the operating system was lifted from Xerox Park, Apple's operating yeah. system. They didn't invent that either. Right. But Jobs focused on cool design, user interface that was easy, and really, really smart branding. I want to. You brought up Park Xerox Park, and I thought this is always an interesting piece that I find fascinating. So when they were developing the Mac, which they took the operating system, they they visited Park, they saw the mouse, which was another thing that was, you know, they didn't yeah. invent and it was one of the pieces that they brought in. But somehow Jobs thought that he had seen uh, that they had curved edges on some of their boxes on some of the, the pieces that were there. And they hadn't been able to do that at Apple. Um, and so he came back and told his engineers, I, I want these to be curved when we have boxes that show up on the screen. And, and again, forgive me if I, I missed this understanding, but what in fact happened, he had misseen this, that Park had never invented that. They, they said, no, we couldn't, we didn't know how to do that. There was no way that that could be done. Um, but, by, but because he thought that it had been done and he pushed his engineers to do it, they came up with that design feature because, well, if they're doing it, we obviously we should be able to figure it out, right? So, uh, again, even just stealing things that weren't even there to begin with, I think, is an interesting piece of that. <laughs> and and so. if you want to do a, a really quick, interesting exercise for your listeners, Google 
Dieter Ram, who was the designer for Braun uh, and Apple. So do Braun and Apple. And what you okay. will see is that Dieter Ram's, he wrote the uh, 10 elements of design. And what you see when you look at that is how much appropriation from their designs Apple took. And, you know, Braun yeah. started back in the 50s or 60s, and they did cool kitchen yeah. appliances and cool speakers and stuff like that. But you look at that and you see the iterative nature, iterative nature of design. And, uh, and it's really fascinating. When I, when I do that for my class and I show the students, they're blown away by these things that were designed 40, 50 years ago is what Apple is borrowing from. Again, we all stand on the shoulders of giants of previous influences, even if you're not aware. I know that Apple was aware. And do you remember the lawsuit, by the way, that Apple had uh, filed against Microsoft? Yeah, which which they lost. That's right. Well, you know, probably one of the only humorous things that that Bill Gates ever said, which was uh, he said, how could we steal the operating system from you? You stole it from Xerox. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which, was, which was quite interesting. But, you know, yeah. but that's creative. Being creative is also knowing what influences to take from. You know, yeah. steal from the best. You know, iterate on the best. And, but if you think that you're reinventing the wheel and somehow on the, along the way you found fire, uh, you didn't. You know, but that doesn't mean that you can't apply original thinking and advance the form in some way. Yeah. I think Woody Guthrie said, if you come upon a great line, or if you come up upon a, a good lyric, borrow it. But if you come upon a great lyric, steal it. <laughs> just, just just completely appropriate it. I, I, I wanted to know, uh, so we are recording this at the end of July. And uh, at this point, from where we stand, the, um, the musical about Lloyd Price is expected to be launched uh, to have an opening night in Melbourne, Pennsylvania at the People's Light Theater in March of 2022. And um, I- I'm just curious, what made you fall in love with Lloyd Price? Well, I was, uh, I was hired. Well, let, me, let me back up a bit. Uh, there was a man that I worked with, John Bonani, and John was the executive producer of Radio City Music Hall. And uh, I was hired to do a film about the Rockettes, and this was for the 75th anniversary of Radio City. And John really liked the ideas I brought to the table, and I ended up doing the gig. He left Radio City, and uh, his background had been in theater. And he called me up and said, Jeff, I've got somebody I would like you to meet. I think there's something here for you. I said, sure. Who's that? And he said, do you know who Lloyd Price is? And I said, well, Mr. Personality? Yeah, I know his music. (laughs) And uh, so I met Lloyd, and I was hired to do a documentary about him. And Lloyd and I really hit it off, and I did a lot of research about him, and his story was fascinating. And he was an unsung hero. He broke down the wall that was called race records. Lloyd is black. It used to be prior to his first song, Laudie Miss Claudie, that if you wanted a record by a black artist, you had to buy it at a black owned record store. Well, Laudie Miss Claudie sold 
over a million copies. That was absolutely unheard of. This was in wow. 1952. Wow. Because the record business, uh, kids didn't buy records. And that also created a seismic change because it was the beginning of the youth movement, the beginning of rock and roll, and the beginning of the civil rights movement. So his life was incredible. And I found Lloyd to be not only very charismatic, he was very open. And I, I knew after researching him and doing the documentary that I wanted to do the play. And I said to him, I think I can, I, I know that I can find your voice and be true to your voice. And I said, but well, there's something we need to be clear about from the beginning. And he said, what's that? And uh, I said that the story is bigger than you are, that you are the messenger, mm -hmm. that there was such a seismic change. He was also the first musical artist of any color to start his own label. He taught Sam Cooke how to do it. He didn't teach him, he showed him how to do it. And all the, there are so many people as I've become more and more familiar with what's going on, there are so many people that take credit for the innovations that Lloyd did because Lloyd was always doing. And so I was fascinated by his personality when I met him. Uh, I was fascinated by the innovations he brought into the business uh, of music. So he was not only an artist, he was a businessman. Uh, and then even his life after music, you know, he produced The Rumble in the Jungle and The Thrill in Manila with Muhammad Ali. And he's the one that brought, for better or worse, uh, Don King into boxing. So it was such a rich, so <laughs> oh it was gosh. such, and uh, I get to say this, which is really fun for me. I was on a conference call with Lloyd Price and Little Richard. And uh, Lloyd oh, got God. Little Richard his first recording contract. So that's what attracted me, it, a, a, a very richly lived life that, uh, pushed social boundaries, pushed musical boundaries, and opened the doors, not just for black musicians, but for young musicians, because that really wasn't a thing. So it was absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And as I have, you know, been involved with this now for years, you know, if I knew how long it took to mount a play, I would have started when I was younger. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> it, it, I keep discovering things about Lloyd, who, you know, unfortunately died this past May. Uh, and yeah. I, I am honored and thrilled that Lloyd chose me to write his story. And you never know. That's the other thing is that you never know when you meet somebody that that person has the potential to radically change your life. And my life has radically changed as a result of meeting Lloyd. And as I said earlier on, I'm seduced by ideas and now I'm a playwright and I'm doing a play, you know? So I had absolutely no right logically to be doing that. That's yeah. amazing. I, yeah. it, it's, it's a, a, the, the, the story is compelling. His music is fantastic, but even the, the concept of how you came about it is just a creative insight into creativity. It's this idea that, all right, I'm not a playwright, but I feel like I have the wherewithal and the passion to be able to do this and to do it in a way that is going to, you know, find, as you said, his voice. And I think that is really, really key. And 
I don't know. I, I think with that, Tim, I think that this is a wrap because I don't know where we can go from here. I, I, we we could go everywhere from here, <laughs> but, but as far as I'm concerned. But we do want to express our gratitude to you, Jeff, for sharing your time and, and your inspiration on creativity with, with Behavioral Grooves. Thanks very much for being a guest. Well, thank you. I, I, I love doing it, love talking to you guys, and uh, you know, love the questions and um, – you know, it, it's fun. By the way, for your listeners, also, we've become friends over co- over Zoom now, Squadcast. <laughs> yes, and yes. it's been one of these things that is a positive thing about being in lockdown before and so on is meeting people, increasing your sphere of people and ideas and so on. That has just been great and would have never happened otherwise. Yeah. Well, and thanks go to John Levy for yes. the first introduction to the Influencer yeah. Salon and various different aspects of that and the, this this whole piece. But I think you're absolutely right. The, the wonderful One of the wonderful things about, about this pandemic and lockdown is that we have become more, more open to having building relationships mm-hmm. that are not necessarily just in person, which opens up the the geography for where that happens and uh you know you're in the east coast we're midwestern you know but we talk with people all across the globe and various different pieces and i think that's just the 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 shrinking of the the known world i think is one of the the greatest things that have come out of this so and i agree and i'd like to leave your audience with one other thing about creativity and that is one's own personal commitment to their ideas and doing it. A friend of mine wanted me to meet this uh, Broadway producer. This is before I had even written the script. <clears throat> and uh, as we're waiting in his office, there's all these posters around of all the shows he's been involved with. <clears throat> and he comes in and you know we shake hands and he says, you know, Jeff, mounting a play is a very difficult thing. And he starts going on about how hard it is and all the obstacles along the way and so on. And I'm going, all right, time out, time out, time out. And he stops. And I said, despite my youthful appearance, I'm not a kid. So I don't need theater 101 of how hard it is to do something. Now, what I didn't say uh, was you did it and you're not all that impressive. You know, so... If somebody can (laughs) knock you off your balance by telling you how hard it is to accomplish something, then you have to question yourself whether you've got the grit, gumption, and perseverance to continue and to manifest your ideas into that career. He didn't discourage me. He actually lit more of a fire under me by saying, you know, how difficult it is and you can't do this. So I think that it's really important that you also commit to yourself first and realize that there will always be obstacles and there will always be people that will try to discourage you for whatever reasons. But if you believe in your ideas, uh, then you should do put your whole self into making those ideas happen. Don't be delusional. But, you know, you're going to get more discouragement than encouragement. And you have to have that commitment to yourself. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to move forward and make a career out of your creative ideas. 
And with that, all we can say is thanks very much for being a guest on Behavioral Groove, Chef. Thank you. And Tim, I hope you've actually recorded it this time. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. That oh was my fantastic. Gosh. Oh, oh my Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our discussion with Jeff, have a free-flowing conversation, and talk about whatever else comes into our non-essential brains. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we have non-essential brains? I thought you should No. I thought you were gonna say no, Kurt. We have very essential brains. No, I think that so many of us are trapped in the idea of doing things that are non-essential. Oh. Right? That we're not very good at being focused on the essential. No, we and get Jeff is. I, I, that's a really good point because I think there's a a big piece of the insight that I got from this is like think about what is essential in your life and going back. This goes back to the goals piece that we talked about. You know, when we did the, our grooving session on goals yeah. and this idea that too often, particularly at New Year's and all those other times, we just we put these goals out there and. Do we really think about how those goals are essential? Are they are they key to what we want to achieve in the bigger picture of our life, or are they these uh, goals of convenience? Are they are they the things that we are supposed to do? It's also this essential piece. Are we doing the behaviors that are essential to get us forward, or are we doing the things that we've always just done? Got stuck in that status quo of. Yep, this is how I wake up. This is what I do first thing in the morning. This is what I do when I get into the office. This is what I do when I leave. All of those things, and they just become habit routine without contemplation about, are these things essential? Are they what I want to do with the rest of my life? And are they driving towards that, that end zone? And not to say, and I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot here, not to say that we always have to be you know, purposeful and and doing things that are going to, you know, lead to a better life. Sometimes we just got to let go and sometimes it's okay to just do things, but let's think about the essential aspects of these. You also tee up something that I'm just going to tee. I just want to pre mention something. We're going to talk to Lisa Oliveras who wrote a book called, um, in, in a, already enough. Mm. And it's about stories and the stories that we tell ourselves. And Jeff Madoff's story is about, God, I just want to do something that's really interesting. And that focus is just like a laser for him. But that his life story continues, you know, it, it, it certainly changes in terms of what is actually interesting to him and what he's going to love and what he's going to actually put his time and energy into. He's, he's, he's totally... Switzerland when it comes to exactly what he's going to do, but it needs to be really interesting. It needs to be, it needs to be valuable. It needs to be essential for Jeff to work on it, for Jeff to invest his time in it. And that's, that's a great skill. And I don't know how much of that is DNA versus how much he got, you know, was sort of brought up in the environment that he grew up in, but it's fantastic. And I think that more of us can take, uh, we should do what we love. You know, uh, is is sort of my takeaway. From I it. agree, and, and and there was a line, and I can't remember, and I'm trying to look through the the transcripts here to find it, but it's about something about expressing oneself. Like it was really important, not only to to kind of make sure that it was essential, but it's about the expression of that, and how are you oh, expressing yeah. that in your life? And I'm going, those two concepts combined 
I think are something that you can take away and really run with this idea that, all right, is this essential? And then how are you expressing that? And how are you making sure that others are understanding that vision that you have, that you're listening for others in their expression of their vision? I think those two combined, uh, they're going to be my, maybe they'll be my mantras for 2022. You know, It's interesting that Jeff uses the word expression because that is the, that is I, I recall the same thing that he said what i'm interested in is expression so he's not saying you have to behave a certain way or you have to speak things a particular way or that your your work product it's kind of everything however you're expressing yourself that that's what he's interested in he's not so much concerned about what you think as much as what you're how you're expressing what you think and I, that might come because at heart i think jeff is an artist right i mean he, yeah, he talked yeah. about and, and i you know he talked about how he started in clothing and then getting into video just kind of going for everything but at the heart of it there's really this element where he is an artist and that i think is a key piece for artists is how do you express this idea, this concept, this notion that you have in a way that touches other people, that pulls them in. And that, I think, is what Jeff really is is thinking about here. And, you know, I'm sure Jeff will come back after listening to this and t- oh, yeah. to correct me and go, no. Kurt, you're an idiot. You know, <laughs> oh, oh, but, but that's my take on it. So he also doesn't juxtapose, like, he doesn't separate analytical ability or um, problem solving ability with creativity and developing good you know, business solutions. Like that's all part of the same thing as far as he's concerned. And I love that very homogenous connection that he makes. It's like, you know, you, you don't have to be, you don't have to be analytical or creative. You can be both. Yeah. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like just go and do that. If, as long as it's interesting, as long as it's essential, as long as it is expresses what you want to, to do. The, uh, it's a really simple formula. I love it. I know. But this, this idea too, that Jeff has is that just find whatever is interesting, find, do what you love and then just go out and do it is <laughs> <Yeah>. a fantastic <laughs> attitude. Um, and, I, I love it, and but then there's also this 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 pragmatic, realistic part of me that like pushes back on that, and I go, why am I pushing back? Why why am I going? Well, you, everybody can't just do that, right? There's only you get, you know, you, me, Jeff. We're all white males, and and we have the privileges that come with yeah. being a white male in uh, United States uh, of America, particularly in the ages that we have. You know, we're all maybe a little bit. Um, on the gray side here, different pieces of that, right? So, <laughs> yes, but yes. so we need to understand that that there's there's some things that probably come easier, but but there is some truth to this idea of like, don't be afraid to just go out and try something. Don't be afraid yeah. to pick up and leave and 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 go after something that you really love. And the, yeah. the I, I mean, his story about the the producer who said, you know how hard it is to do a, a, a play. And yeah, it is hard. Yeah. Life is hard. There are lots of things that we, you know, if, if we looked at, at trying to, to move forward and do things in our life and we, we stop because they're hard or they're not likely to happen, 
you know, we look at base rates and we go, oh, shit, there's no way I should start a new new company or a new business. That's right. Or, you know, that's right. I, I don't want to do any of those. But if we we did that, then we would never have new businesses. We would never have the opportunity to to express ourselves in, in that, may, that way. I think George Bernard Shaw said that uh, the 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 rational man adapts himself to the world. Mm-hmm. Basically, figure out what the status quo is and find your way into it. But the irrational man, and of course, this is, he's a 19th century you know dude, so we're just using rational and irrational in that way. But he said the irrational man expects the world to adapt to him, ah. and change comes about because of the irrational man. And and that is that is that's Jeff. It's like. Go, it, if it makes sense to you, to him, he's just going to go and pursue it. Uh, there was that that great story about the uh, the scene in the Lloyd Price play about Australia. Yeah, right. That the read through, everybody is laughing, like they're loving it. It's causing people to be really joyful. It's five minutes of of really well scripted story. And what does he do? He cuts it. Yeah, because he felt it was wrong. Something wasn't right with it. And then when he asked his director, producer, whoever it was, you know, yeah, I kind of feel that too. And it goes back to that essential piece. It go, he said it wasn't essential. So he killed his own yeah, darling. Yeah. I, that, so many times we get so caught up. It worked. This is laughing. This is what we want. Yeah. This is it. But was it essential to the larger uh, expression? That he was there you go. going yeah. to try to 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 make happen here, and it didn't fit, and so therefore we cut it out. And yeah, his his director was Sheldon Epps, and uh, is Sheldon Epps, and and I think Sheldon even said, "Well, wait a minute, this is it's this working. is working." Yeah, yeah, but to cut it, and and I think that this is a pro tip. And Jeff didn't express this in as saying this is a pro tip, but kill your own darlings is a pro tip. <laughs> like, that's what pros do. Like, because they're willing to say, this does not advance the story. It's a, it's a wonderful anecdote. It's lovely. It gets people engaged, but it didn't advance the story. It wasn't essential. And, and that goes back. So a whole different um, story here, but Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is a, was at the top of his game. You can think of whatever you want of Tiger Woods, but and just thinking about him in, in his golf game, he was at yep. the top of his game. He was winning championships. And he went back and he realized that he was, he couldn't get better the way that he was hitting. And he relearned an entirely new way of basically hitting the ball. He went back for a year or a year and a half. I forget what it was, had a new trainer. They, they worked on his grip. They worked on a whole bunch of other things. I'm not a pro on this. So, you know, anybody who, who does know this and please let us know what I messed up here. But the the basic idea is he killed his own. Di- I mean, he was the he was the top most winning golfer at the time, and he said, "No, I have to remake my golf game because if I want to get to that next level, if I need to, I need to cut out all of these other things that I've learned over my course of my life and get better to do that." And that that's what Jeff just did with this part of the play. He said, "You know, it works. It's good. People are laughing." But to take that play to the next level, I need to I need to kill that and I need to redo it. 
part of it is another pro tip that I think Jeff would say. He, again, he didn't say it this way, but he talked about this idea of focusing on things that will have the greatest or the highest potential return for whatever you're doing. Mm. Focus on so that means you have to identify what those are. The, your Tiger Woods story plays to that perfectly. He said, "If I want to be a better golfer, if I actually want to continue to improve as my body changes, I need to make changes. So I'm going to have to focus on that." And and Jeff is very willing to to focus on things that have the highest potential return for whatever the project he's he's working on is. Which I think is to your point. It's a pro tip. How often do we go in? and actually examine our life yeah. in a way that says is working well, but where I want to go, is this going to be, have that potential return that is going to get me there? And right. is this the way that I want to live my life? I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I also, speaking of pro tips, I love that Jeff is really a good listener. He, he even said that, um, you know, one of the things that he learned from his wife was the importance of li of listening. And of course, he's using this as a metaphor. Like this is an important thing to do whenever, when, when he talks about, we've had conversations with him about, you know, talking to David Bowie and, you know, great, you know, amazing musicians and actors and people around the world. And his big thing is listening. Yes. Like listen to what they have to say. And I think that that's a that's a pro tip. Um, I think we're we're pretty good listeners because we talk to people and we ask them questions and we we listen. But Jeff is really sharp at this. Really, but, really good. But here's the piece: is is he's listening to understand? This goes back to you know all that craziness, right? But you're not listening to respond. You're listening to understand. Yeah, and that's a different perspective because when you listen to respond, you're like. What am I going to say in response to this? What is my, how am I going to make myself look good in front of a David Bowie or whoever this is, whether it be David Bowie or it's the person that you just met on the street, but you're always in this own, your own kind of self mind of, I need to present myself in a way. And so I'm going to listen to understand so I can respond to you appropriately. And I think yeah. the difference is just listening to just, no, just, I, I want to hear what you have to say and then trusting that whatever I say at the end will, will be just whatever that is. And I don't have to listen to, to have a retort to you. And the other thing I think that Jeff talks about, and this is another pro tip is sometimes you have to be your own biggest critic. And I don't know if that's a <laughs> pro tip because I don't, no. I don't want people to be you know, self-critical. And I think for some people that can be a really negative and in downward spiral loop. But there is this idea that too often we hold ourselves in too high of esteem and being able to understand and really peel back the layers that we have and understand the the motives behind why we're doing something, not just that surface motive, but the deep motive. And then being a really you know, examining that going, is this essential? Is this driving to where I want? And being that critical of that, I think is really cool. Yeah. The last thing that I wanted to talk about was his ability, ability to just keep moving. He just, <laughs> he, he just keeps moving. He is, he's the, the rolling stone that gathers no moss, you know? And, and I think that there is this implicit hope 
in him, mm-hmm. this tremendous amount of adventure that is uh, inspirational, you know, mm-hmm. to me. Like, just keep, it's like it's it's okay. Whatever. Again, getting back to kill your own darlings. Whatever happened before, that's gone. I'm on to the next thing. It's okay to keep looking forward, and I I love that he does that and does it really well. And this idea that the next adventure could even be better than what I've done before, right? right? That's fantastic. Right. All right, people. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for uh, any feedback that you give us. We love it. If you can share uh, this episode or any episode of behavior grooves that you like with your friends, we would be greatly, greatly appreciative. It goes a big way in our goal of expanding the reach of behavioral grooves. And the more people that we can have listen in and potentially learn something from these podcasts, the, the better that we think, um, you know, the world will be, hopefully we're making a slight small difference in that. And if you can share that, we would be so, so appreciative. Don't hesitate to leave us a review, leave a five-star rating, uh, just scroll down to the bottom of your app and just, you can just punch the stars and just boom, it's, it's done. It takes a second and a half to do that. Um, leave us a quick review. Two sentences would be fantastic uh, because those things actually go a long way in helping uh, us get seen by people who are looking for, oh, I'm interested in behavioral science. Yeah. Um, then we get recommended more. And that's that's good. Because we don't have advertisers like we're doing this for the love of it. So so if you'd share that great. And if you want to hear more from from Kurt and me, uh, not like you haven't heard enough already, but <laughs> we do. <laughs> but we 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 have a monthly newsletter that goes out and jump over to our our behavioralgrooves.com website and sign up for our newsletter if you yeah. like. And, and the newsletter in 2022 is different than what it has been. And so we are very focused in on providing uh, real value with that. So hopefully you can sign up for that. And if you find it um, valuable, share that with your friends as well. And we'll focus on things that are essential. Ooh, maybe that's <laughs> what we should do. Is, is this essential? Cut it out. Is this essential? Well, Tim, all of our music stuff is going to then just be, you know, cut out. No, no that's essential. I know. <laughs> Come on. No, here we go. no, it's all good. It's all good. So thank you again for listening and go out and find your group this week. <laughs>